Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open this morning with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. 11, 1, 11. 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. It's too bad we're not November 11th, 2011. We would have this thing really locked up. But uh, who knows, I may come back and preach this again on that day. Um, what do you, today we're going to talk about the entrance of a king. Not just a king, but the king. The entrance of the king. What do you think about when you think about royalty? You know, we, we've had an example of this in the last little bit. Uh, most of us, when we think about uh, royalty, we think about fanfare and pageantry, wealth, power, maybe military escort. Uh, possibly even when we think of biblical days riding in the king, riding in on the white horse. Well, we've had an example of this in the, in the last few days, last few months as, uh, as a, uh, in, in our universe. Really, uh, not necessarily in our nation, but, uh, but in the world, it's come real close. I want you to see this video uh, just real quick, 12 seconds, I think, of it. Let's pull that up. Yeah, didn't want to show you too much, didn't want to, you know, because some of you are like junkies and, and you got up at three o'clock in the morning to, to watch the thing. So you're like, great, we're in church watching the wedding and want to show you too much. But that's really what we think of, isn't it? That's that's what we picture here. Uh, I did a little research on this, uh, the royal wedding, uh, Prince William and and uh, and Catherine Middleton. Uh, the wedding itself cost thirty two million dollars. Um, Compared to the average American wedding of twenty-seven thousand uh, dollars, you know, I, I never, never really realized uh, when uh, Lana and I started to get married, her dad offered us a thousand dollars just to go off somewhere and get married. And uh, then after the wedding, we we both have kind of said we kind of wish we'd have taken that deal, you know. But uh, thirty-two million dollars for this wedding, the cake alone for the royal wedding, eighty thousand dollars for the cake. Uh, the dress itself, everyone made a huge deal over the dress. The dress was $434,000. The ring, which he got from, uh, from Princess Diana, appraised for over $130,000. Um, this is grandeur. This is fanfare and pageantry to its highest in our day. This is modern. This is what we think of. Uh, if, if you watched any of that, these were just, just a brief snippet of, of the images there. The images actually, they're in the ceremony. It was just, just gorgeous, the rich woods and, and all of that. I mean, it's just what you think of. Well, today we come to a text where we also see the entrance of a king, but his entrance is not quite so grand. There was no $32 million spent on his, his entrance. There was no $80,000 spent on food. There was nothing of the sort. I want you to see it today. But nevertheless, we see today in our text the king of kings declaring himself to be just that. He is the king of the Jews. Let's look at it this morning. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said, they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches and they, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, this morning, we don't need to see another example of pomp, fanfare. We don't need to see the world's riches We don't need to walk away being amazed at how much was spent on the royal wedding. God, this morning, what we need more than anything is to walk away seeing the King for all He is. God, I pray that You would use me as I preach out of Your Word to make that clear. Holy Spirit, would You open minds, open hearts, Open ears and eyes and let us see and hear what is in this text today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you three things out of this text this morning. In the entrance of the king. Three things. First off, number one, Christ is king of everything. Christ is king of everything. Not just some things, but everything. While his entrance may not be as splendid as the royal wedding, it is obvious, though, from this passage, this particular story is actually one of very few that is told in all four of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record this triumphal entry. It's obvious from this text that while it may not be as splendid, Jesus is controlling every minute of it. He is in control, in charge, king over every single detail every situation even to his own death and his resurrection he displays his sovereignty in this text his control sovereignty is a big word really means control that's how i want you to think of it uh, that he is in control he displays his control or his sovereignty over several things first he displays that he is king over jerusalem Jerusalem is, uh, is described in Old Testament as the city of the great king. And so Jesus comes here uh, and largely before this had, had hidden his identity. You remember what he had told several people? He had performed miracles, caused people to be healed, walk, uh, called, caused the blind to see. And multiple times he had told them, don't tell anyone. Well, here we see Jesus openly riding into the city on the back of this donkey, not rejecting, but rather receiving their adoration and them calling him king. Jesus here comes into this city, the city of the great king, and takes it over. He is in control 
in just an instant of this great city. Now, you say, well, Jerusalem, is it really that big a city in that day? Well, it wasn't that big, but it was huge on one particular week. This is Passover week. This is the beginning of the Passover week. And uh, it's probably true that here in this week, there are as many as two million people in this small town or in this city of Jerusalem. A record shows that in 40 A.D., in 40 A.D., just 10 years after this, there were 260,000 lambs that were slaughtered at Passover in Jerusalem. Think about that. 260,000 lambs slaughtered. John MacArthur, in, in his commentary, says that it was usual for one lamb to be slaughtered for every 10 people. So do the math. That means 10 years after Christ is here, there were 2.6 million people in Jerusalem for this one week. This is huge. This is people just traveling in from all over the place. Two million people, let's say. And Jesus, in an instant, grabs the attention of the city. He is sovereign. He is in control of this city, his city. And he does so with relative ease. He also displays not only his control or his sovereignty over Jerusalem, but also over his own disciples. In the second part of verse 1, it says that he sent two of his disciples. He sends them to go take this donkey. And you, you can imagine that maybe in their mind, they're thinking, but Jesus, you've not been there yet. How do you know the donkey is tied there? Jesus, you don't own the donkey. Yet they go anyway. Jesus sends these disciples and they do not question. They simply go. And he shows here that he is sovereign in control over his disciples. Not only that, but he's sovereign over creation. Verse 2. Verse 2, he tells them, go and get this donkey. Go to the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. The question begs us to ask, how did he know it was there? How, how did he know that this donkey and her colt, Matthew says that there was both the donkey and the colt together, the, the, uh, the offspring of this donkey. How did he know they were there? Well, I would remind you of who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There's no mystery here. Jesus has not heard some landowner who actually owns this donkey say, if you're ever passing through, you'll find my donkey tied here. Take it anytime you want. That's not what's going on. This is the omniscience of holy God in flesh, Jesus Christ. He is sovereign over even creation. He also displays his sovereignty or his control over possessions, regardless of ownership. Verses 3 through 6, he says, If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Just tell him the Lord has need of it. He'll, he'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, found the colt, tied to the door, outside in the street. They untied it. Some of those standing there came out and said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had told them to say, the Lord needs it, 
And they let him go. Now, if you don't think this is amazing, that Jesus here is displaying his sovereignty or his control over possessions regardless of ownership, try this today. After you go to the restaurant for lunch, come out of the restaurant, give the keys to your wife, you go over to a car of your choosing in the parking lot. Take a wire clothes hanger, run it down through the window of the car, finagle it and unlock it. I don't even know if you can still do that, but that's how we used to do it. Not that I was ever breaking in cars, but you know. (laughs) Try this today. Unlock this car that doesn't belong to you. Rip open the housing there. Hotwire the car. And when the person comes running out of the restaurant and says, what are you doing? That's my car. Tell them the Lord needs it. He'll send it right back and see what happens. But see, that came at your volition. This command comes at the volition of Jesus. He is sovereign, in control, even over possessions, regardless of ownership. He also displays that he is sovereign and in control, even over time and space. Not only did Jesus know exactly where this donkey would be, where this colt would be, but he had timed the event perfectly in keeping with both history and the present week. And here's what I mean. We read at the beginning of our service today, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That verse was written, prophesied by Zechariah 500 years before this event in our view today. 500 years ahead of time, it is prophesied by Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Sing or shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus here in doing this, exercising sovereignty over all of these things, has also exercised sovereignty over history. He is here fulfilling what was prophesied 500 years ahead of time. And not only was he fulfilling that prophecy, but he had timed it in all of his earthly ministry exactly perfectly to bring it to completion during this one week so that on Friday he could be sacrificed as the great Passover lamb. You say, well, I don't don't know about all of that. Well, I do. I've experienced it in my life. It's here before us in the Scriptures. Jesus is no mere man. He is God of very God. He is Lord. He is King over everything. King over our lands. He captured Jerusalem in an instant. We are up in arms right now and and we should pray for our country. But we should also keep things in perspective that our God, regardless of what goes on in our government, our God is on the throne. That there is no vacancy there. That we don't need to run around and the sky is falling. And what are we going to do? We should pray for our leaders. We should pray for the debt crisis to be solved. We should pray for all of that. But we should understand that God, Jesus Christ, is sovereign over all lands. He is sovereign over our lives, just as He had the ability, the the control to send the disciples wherever He wanted them to go. He also has sovereign control over your life and my life as well. 
We don't have the option to look God in the face and say, God, you have no right to tell me that. We as the creation are obligated to say to the creator, you are God and I am not. He is sovereign over our possessions. He owns it all. Many of you have gone through really hard times in the last few years. The recession has hit hard. There are many of you without jobs who have been laid off and all sorts of things. But just as we don't need to worry when the country is in disarray, we also don't need to worry when our personal finances are in disarray. Now, we should work and we should do all those things that we have been commanded to do in order to live in the society in which we live. But when it comes down to it, the Bible promises that God will look after His own. Look at the lilies of the field. I tell you, Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not arrayed like one of these. Look at the birds. If your heavenly Father feeds them, will He also not feed you as well? If a, if a father knows how to give good gifts, will your heavenly Father not give you all the more? We hoard and we hold on to. Y'all, have y'all seen the show Hoarding? <laughs> you know, we, we turn that on and we look at that and, and if you've not seen it, you should go check it out sometime because it it's disgusting and, uh, and, and it, is, it is really sickening people hoarding these things in their home. I mean, don't throw things out I mean, animals that are not pets, you know, in their home, you know. I mean, just crazy stuff. But the reality is we are all hoarders. We all become too self-centered. Jesus is king over our futures as well. He is directing all of this. Human history is not happening by chance or by accident. God is not responding to the things that happen. God is leading it all and He will lead it to His appointed end. And that includes your part in it. It's not as if you are some separate entity to yourself that is outside of human history. You are a part of it. And if you are a child of God, He has promised that those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also will glorify. He will take you all the way, all the way to the appointed end. The application for us is that Jesus is still king over everything. Colossians chapter 1, I'll read it again, verse 16 and 17 this time. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What that means is that God is in control, king over Everything. And whatever comes into your life while we are in this broken, sinful world, whatever comes into your life, if you are a child of God through Christ, whatever comes into your life, you can mark it down. It has come because it has been deemed necessary for you from the hand of a God who is always, always, always good. Christ is king over everything. Secondly, 
yet he came as a peasant. Yet he came as a peasant. In verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. You know, have you ever thought about that? What a picture this must have been. Two million people on their way into Jerusalem for Passover. And here comes this one, this miracle worker, this teacher, the one who has fed all of these, doesn't have a donkey to his name. But they go and they borrow one. I wonder if the disciples thought that, they, you know, that, that it was grand theft donkey, that they had just taken somebody's donkey, you know, and... and uh, and are, are we really, are we going to get in trouble for this? Well, this is just the beginning of the kingdom. Let's do it anyway, guys. You know, Peter probably, you know, right in there going to do it. Um, doesn't have a donkey. Here he comes, though, riding on a borrowed, in the minds of the disciples, maybe stolen donkey. He's not riding a valiant horse coming in as king of the Jews. Instead, he is riding not only, not just a donkey, but the colt of a donkey. Doesn't even have a saddle. They pile their coats on top of the donkey for Jesus to sit on. Have you thought about that scene? And then all of these people begin to say, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! There was precedent for uh, kings to ride on donkeys. I don't want you to miss that. David rode on a donkey. Solomon rode on a donkey. So there, there have been those that have made this out to be strictly a, a, a testimony of humility. I think it is that. But there was precedent for it. When a king would come riding on a donkey, he was coming as a statement. It was a statement of this is a mission of peace, not one of war. Jesus here riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is making a statement that he has come to make peace. Nevertheless, it became a weapon of ridicule against Christ and his followers. Christians were sometimes portrayed after this event as donkey worshipers. Let's pull this picture up, David, if you will. Uh, this was discovered, this picture was discovered in an old building. It was discovered in 1856. It was discovered in a building that was probably a school of some sort. And uh, go to the, the next one so they can see more of what it is. This was the sketch that was pulled off of that. That particular drawing was etched into the wall of this school. Probably what happened was one of the, the young boys that was there in this school had, had etched or carved this into the wall as an attempt to make fun of the faith of the Christian schoolmates that he had. The, the picture here, if you'll look at it, is uh, of a man's body with a donkey's head on a cross and the man at the bottom lifting his hand in worship. And the, the inscription is that this is, um, this is Alexander or, uh, or Alexandrus and his God. This was an attempt to make fun of Christianity. And this is what the world always does. The world will take what Christ or what God means for good and they will twist it to harm and to hurt and to do damage. You take that away. There was another image that was found and displayed. I don't have a picture of it. Uh, but Tertullian, one of the early Christian theologians, uh, reports about this picture that was displayed in, in, uh, in Carthage uh, by a Jew who was bitter against the Christians. The picture was, uh, was of a god. It was a drawing of, a, of what represented a god that had donkey ears, uh, had a hoof on one foot, 
It was dressed in a toga and it was holding a book, presumably scripture, with the inscription, the God of the Christians. I tweeted this week something like, um, if, if the world, when Christ was alive, called his followers donkey worshipers, we should not be all that surprised when they do the same today. Now, many of you probably, if you follow me on Twitter, you got that and you're thinking, what? What? Who's saying what? But that's where this comes from. Those outside of the grace of Christ saw this as nothing more than an opportunity to stab Jesus and his followers. To make fun without belaboring a point that is not the main point of this entire passage. Let me just remind you that to follow Christ is not to take up a life of ease. It is not to take up a life of pleasure, favor in the eyes of men. It is not to take up a life of happiness and wealth and prosperity. There's plenty of that preaching on TV out there. In fact, one of our own members last week had had an encounter with someone who had, who had talked about that his God had provided all of these rings for him and the car that he drove and all this sort of thing. And while that is true, God, every good gift does come down from the Father of lights. That is not the message of Christianity. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not come to Jesus and he'll make you wealthy. The gospel is not come to Jesus and he'll make you healthy. The gospel is not even come to Jesus and he'll make you happy. He does love you and he does have a wonderful plan for your life, but that's not the gospel. To follow Christ is not to take up this life of ease and comfort and happiness and wealth and prosperity, but it is to be hated in this life. We, as the church, have lost sight of this. I'm not saying that you should go out and pick fights. I'm not saying that you should go out and and be as weird as you possibly can so people will also think ill of you and hate you. You're not supposed to bring it on. The reproach comes from Christ, not from you. As you carry the name of Christ and live for Him, following, obeying Him, and live to His glory, they will hate you. You don't need to go out and make signs and picket funerals of soldiers. You don't need to make outlandish predictions of when the world is going to come to an end. All you need to do is, by the grace of God, follow Christ and they will hate you. They will call you donkey worshiper and worse. But we are called to take up our cross and follow Him. The cross was not an emblem to be worn around the neck of Christ. The cross was what would go across His back as He was nailed to it. I would remind you that since He is King of everything, that we are to be faithful anyway. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I would encourage us 
that if Christ being king of everything came as a peasant, then we should, by his grace, follow his example. That we should stop acting like we are entitled, spoiled, kings deserving the worship of men. And instead, we should take the attitude of humble peasants ready to serve and lay down our lives for the cause of the gospel. Amen? He is Christ, is king over everything, yet he came as a peasant. Last one. Conditional allegiance is no allegiance at all. Conditional allegiance is no allegiance at all. While Christ is king of everything and he came as a peasant, I want you to see how the crowd responded. The crowd in verses 8 through 10, let's look at it together. Verses 8 through 10. Many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I read one commentator who said that that this was the way this worked. They they speculated how this worked. But as Jesus was riding in to town down that road or or up that road to to Jerusalem, that there was a group that was before him, group behind him. And the group ahead would, would shout, Hosanna! And in response, the group behind would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The group in front then would say, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And then the group in the back would, would finish the chant, Hosanna again. Hosanna in the highest. This event has been painted in a very positive light. The, the event, I, I think back to, I mean, I've sat through many, many sermons throughout my, all these years of being in church. Sat through many sermons where this was painted to be a very positive thing. That these people were were worshiping Christ. Finally, he was getting what he deserved. The, the worship, the adoration of men and women and children coming into Jerusalem. But the reality is, this is not positive at all. Their worship was not worship at all because it came with conditions. We know this by looking at, first off, the things that they brought. They, they brought palm branches. We're not told in this text that they were palm branches, but, but the speculation is that they were. They were palm branches cut from the field, and they were bringing these, laying them in the road, waving them in the air. You know this, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday together. Well, the palm was a national symbol. It was a national symbol. It, what they were doing, in effect, was coming out into the streets, and this one that they had heard so much about, all of these great wonders that he had done, they were waving this national symbol saying, save now, save now. They brought their cloaks and they laid those on the ground. And this was a, this was a common expression to, to say, you are the king and I am your subject. You can walk all over me, everything I have if need be. The words they said, they said, Hosanna, save now. This is reminiscent of James and John's request to sit at the right and the left hand of Christ when he came into his glory. Do you remember what we said, what we discovered about James and John's request? James and John wanted the glory without having to go through the suffering. They had watched Jesus perform so many miracles, this crowd just goes crazy. At him coming in. 
They also said, not just Hosanna, but Son of David. Son of David. This is an explicit messianic title. Don't miss this. Don't check out on me. This is, this is so key. This is messianic. This is tied to the roots of Israel. He is the son of David. And yes, he was. But that's all they saw him as. What this shows us is that they weren't interested in, in him being their Passover lamb. Instead, all they were interested in was him delivering them from Roman rule, Roman tyranny. They wanted to be set free from Rome. They wanted these despicable Gentiles away from them and wanted to be the nation that they remembered. They wanted to be back to the glory days when David ruled and they were powerful as a nation. Robbie Gallaty, who is the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, listen to what he said when preaching through this same text. Jesus is not interested in making war with Rome. Jesus is interested in making peace with God. And see, that's what was wrong with their worship. They saw him as the one who was coming to make war with Rome and to deliver them in this life. But Jesus was not coming. Remember, he's on this donkey, symbol of peace. He is coming to make peace with God. So many approach Jesus in the same way with conditions. They approach Jesus with selfish expectations. We invite Jesus into our lives. But then we put limits on where he can go. We, we, we tell Jesus, Jesus, it's okay for you to come into my life. Jesus, come in, come in, Jesus, to the foyer of my life. Come into the narthex of my life. But then we begin to say, but Jesus, don't go into the living room. Jesus, don't, don't go into the bedroom. Jesus, don't go into the study. Don't go into the den. Jesus, don't go into the kitchen. Jesus, whatever you do, don't look in the closet, Jesus. When we come to this issue of following the king of everything who came as a peasant, and we want to say, I will be your subject. I will submit to your authority as long as you do this. When you say things like that, I will submit to your authority as long as you are not submitting to his authority. You have destroyed that. You don't come to God under your conditions. Conditional allegiance is no allegiance at all. It does not work that way. If he is king, then it is not allegiance at all if you put limits and conditions on it. It is not allegiance. It is treason. It is treason against your king to say, I will follow you if. Let me close by saying this. He is king of everything. Yet he came as a peasant for you and for me. Philippians 2 talks about that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death, death on a cross. He was exalted and raised up, given the name above every other name. But that didn't happen until he humbled himself as a peasant. 
My question to you today is this. If he is king of everything, will you accept him on his terms? Will you receive what he has done for you on his terms and his terms alone? This time he came on a donkey. The next time he will come on a great horse. This time he came as merciful servant to bring peace between God and man. The next time he will not come as servant, he will come as judge. And the reality is, you either receive him as he is today. King over everything, regardless of what that requires of you. Accepting him as humble peasant servant who went to the cross on your behalf. Took your punishment. Became sin for you. You either accept him that way or you do not accept him at all. You don't have the luxury to say, you know, I don't know about all that. I just want that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life part of Jesus. Conditional allegiance is no allegiance at all. You either receive him as humble, meek king come to save. Or you will meet him as valiant warrior king coming to judge. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come now to the end of this passage. God, I am about to extend an invitation for those who have heard the gospel today to respond to it by turning from their sin and trusting you alone as their only hope of being right with God. Lord, today, I can't, I can't manipulate that. I, I, I could, but it wouldn't benefit anything because it would be false. Lord, I can't, I can't speak anyone into the kingdom. I can't cause anyone to be saved. Only you can do that. We started our service by talking about that, Lord, we didn't come to you, you came to us. God, I'm asking you now, in your mercy, to come to people in this room today. God, that there would be some in this room today that would understand their sinfulness their great need of a Savior. They don't need a king who wants to give them everything they want. But instead, they need a king who came to die for them. Who has been raised so that we would also be raised. God, I pray that you would convict of sin and draw men and women across this room to yourself. Lord, whatever you want to do. We invited you at the beginning. You don't need us to, but God, we invite you to have your way among us. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.